Good morning to our UK column viewers and listeners. And I'm delighted to have an extremely interesting interview uh, today. Um, I'm joined by two people that I know very well because they're fellow dog walkers. And this is going to form the, uh, the meat of the story. So today I'm joined by Paul Southcombe and Judy Latimer. And they're going to tell they're going to tell us about a really extraordinary incident that they experienced when they tried to exercise their dogs on a sports field just outside Plymouth. So, um, Judy, Paul, welcome to UK Column. Uh, thank Morning. you. I think the best way to start this story is to put up a headline which appeared in the Plymouth Live after the local newspaper effectively came to speak to you both. So let's have a look at this on screen. We've got uh, Plymouth pensioners say they're traumatised after being followed by sinister council dog wardens. And uh, Judy said the Plymouth City Council dog wardens were out for our blood after they followed her to the toilet. So that subheadline is really remarkable. I'm, I'm going to look at, lady, uh, at you uh, Judy, to start off, we'll say ladies first for the UK column today. Uh, just give us a little bit of a, an introduction as to what happened and then we'll bring Paul in. Okay. Um, well, this incident took place on February the 7th, I think it was. It was a Tuesday. It was an absolutely beautiful, crisp morning here um, in Plimstock. And Paul and I and uh, four or five other dog walkers had just completed a couple of laps of the field. The other people dispersed and we stayed to talk to a couple of ladies who were throwing balls for the dogs in the far field. And uh, then um, the, the fields were completely empty apart from ourselves. And then two dog wardens appeared from behind. We hadn't noticed them and they set their knapsacks down on the field and started to get their paperwork out. And um, they had no um, appearance of being any uh, official um, wardens at all. Uh, and Paul said to one of them, well, where's your uniform? And he said, oh, hold on a minute, I'll get it, it's in my bag, do you want to see it? And I thought, well, this is a charade. I said to Paul, let's go, and we walked off the field. And to our surprise at that point, these two guys followed us and started um, shouting to us and, hey, stop, and give us your information. And they actually followed us into Pomflet and then Arreston and down Breakwater Road and, and they followed us for two hours constantly haranguing us, calling the police and we were just absolutely gobsmacked. All right. we had done was take, take the dogs off the lead. Judy, th thank you for that. Just to set the scene for people who are listening in other parts of UK and, and overseas, um, yep. you're talking about areas that are relatively close to the, to the park. So you moved off the park and you're tr you're trying really to get away from these two individuals and you're walking around streets local to that area so um 
Paul, let's bring you in here because I think the initial engagement with these two individuals was with yourself. So you're out walking the dogs. You don't notice these people. Sort of where, where did they come from? Well, they came out of the blue. Um, the, the, the recreation ground is basically in, in two parts, two fields. Uh, and the, the, the parking lot the, uh, the, the car park is at the far end next to the, to the Grimstock Road. And we were over the two fields and on the other end of it. Uh, so they got out of the, their car or their van and they'd come down the side of one field, entered the other field where we were, and then came directly from behind us. And it's just that I happened to glance back and saw them rapidly bearing down on us. At first, I'd seen them, and I'd never seen them before. I'd certainly never seen, heard of them coming, uh, any sort of activity from dog walks at that time of the day in the, in that field. And it, I, I, I just quite totally surprised, basically. They came up behind us, and it was very, very menacing, very, very direct. Uh, they had a, a belligerent attitude. They had a sort of yobbo attitude about them. <laughs> Dressed in uh, hoodies, and one had a baseball cap on back to front. And, and they, it's very strange to me. And being a pensioner, uh, I do take note when we get the warnings about uh, scams, people targeting pensioners to, to con them out of money. And I immediately suspected it was something like that. I, I, I couldn't bring my mind around thinking, well, these are from the council. They're, they're totally unprofessional to do it. If that is, it turned out ultimately that they were from the council. Uh, just a very unprofessional way to, to, to approach the members of the public, especially when they're the, the, the public that pay for your existence uh, expect a little more civility than what we got. Did they show you, Did were they wearing any ID or did they show you any ID at this stage? I asked, I said, if you're from the council, where's your ID? And the chap lifted back his, his jacket and he had a laminate clipped to his, it's a small thing, about so big, clipped to his shirt. And he said, oh, there, there's my ID. And it's the sort of thing you could have made on your own PC, to be honest. And from where I stood, my eyes aren't—my eyes are as old as I am, so they weren't very good. Uh, I couldn't really see a lot of it, but it, I didn't want to get any, my head any closer to him than it was. Uh, and it just looked—it it I didn't know what to make of it. And then he, you know, when I asked about his, his uniform, he said, "Oh, it's in my bag." And and he was a bit snappy about it, and a bit, take, you know, a bit offended that I should ask, you know. And I just thought these guys, I was just suspicious enough or cynical enough, if you like, but I didn't like the idea of it. And I, my attitude is to just walk away when it's like that. Um, with uh, with bullies, I've always stood up to bullies, but I mean, I just I had a feeling that this was wrong. This was just wrong, and we decided to walk away. If I can just come in here at this point, because there's something really about this discussion which is very important, because ultimately this, this, is, this is about 
a number of things, but the thing which most people will pick up on, it's about keeping uh, public areas and sports fields in particular free of dog fouling. Now you, you two are both dog owners, I'm a dog owner, and I'm very happy to say to our audience, I certainly appreciate how unpleasant it is if dogs are fouling um, recreation areas or footpaths and um, it's beholden on the dog owners to make sure that they tidy up after their dogs. In this case, your dogs had done <laughs> had not fouled the grass, they'd done something different. They'd crossed a white line. Have I got that part of the story right? Yes, yes that's right. We, we, were, we were stood on the, on the edge of a, what they use as a football pitch. They've got, I think, four pitches, four football pitches. It's only Plimstock Football Club. It's not Manchester United, but they've got four pitches and they extend as far as they can out to the perimeter of the field. So you've got to cross. Uh, there was nobody playing football or practicing or anything. The, the fields are pretty empty. And we'd walked across with our dogs to uh, talk to these two ladies that we, we were talking to. Uh, so they must have watched us do that. Um, and then on, on the way down. But yes, we'd, we'd actually walked our dog across the pitch, or our dogs across the pitch, without putting a lead on them. But the dogs, you know, they didn't, they were only on the pitch to get to the other side. They, um, they certainly weren't on the pitch to relieve themselves. They, they, that, we'd been there down a, an hour already and they would have done so before if they'd wanted to. If, if you think about it, I mean, had we not been there and the couple of ladies we were talking to, the recreation field, park, pitch, whatever it's called, that green space would have been empty. And that yes. seems to be what is desired, which to me is is absolutely ridiculous. You know, I live just adjacent to these fields, beautiful area to walk your dog. I pick up the people that I walk with, pick up with very, very conscious of having nice clean field. But it looks like this policy is out to vacate the fields, empty the fields. And isn't that sad? Well, as a dog walker, I'd say it's sad, but I want to emphasize this point so that our audience really understand what's happened here. So the crime that's been committed that has excited these two uh, officials from Plymouth City Council is the fact that your dogs were off a lead and they crossed a white line, which meant that the dogs went on to the playing field area. The dogs didn't foul that area. It was simply that the dogs were off the lead when they crossed the white line. That's yeah. correct, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now just take us through in a bit more detail um, what happened when you tried to get away from the two dog wardens. I said to Judy, come on, let's go. I don't like this. Um, and we walked off. Uh, walked away from them and they immediately grabbed their bags and they followed us uh, at close proximity and and I thought they're not going to get off our backs pester us on this so we we came to one of the exits to the field and so we walked out into the built-up area 
to get rid of them. They just didn't want anything more to do with them. And they just followed us, you know, at very close. They, they, they got up close and then dropped back and got up close and then dropped back again. But they followed us for the next two hours from there. So it, it, it was a very deliberate act. Um, they, they came to, to get us, if you like. And they were going to get us one way or the other. I, I had the the feeling that you had when, you, if you remember, when you're at school and, and the school bully starts put, following you around the school and you think, oh, no, I'm in trouble here. Um, and that's the feeling that I got. And, and I learned at school to turn around and face them and, and, uh, and to stand up for myself. And bullies are cowards and they generally they, they, they walk away. Um, but these guys were paying me to be from the council. They had body cameras, which you could buy on eBay for about 50 quid. Um, so I, I still, I'm still very unsure about their story. Um, but I had that feeling that, that I was being bullied, and we were under. I was, I felt under duress immediately. Paul, as you were walking along, did they speak to you? Oh yeah, they kept saying. Or just give us your details and we'll leave you alone. Uh, and I think the details they were asking for was uh, name and address, phone number, uh, and email address for whatever reason. Um, and date and, of birth. And, and date of birth, yes, that's right. Uh, strange sort of collection of information for dog wardens, I thought. But I just, I was still highly suspicious of the whole thing, and I certainly wasn't going to turn around and talk to them because I, 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 was, I did feel under duress, and I know Judy was as well. Uh, and I could see a confrontation brimming if we didn't get away. And so we just kept walking, and they kept talking. Um, later on, um, we went, we went down to the, the end of Breakwater Road and flew into the boatyard there, which by this time we'd been out quite, quite a while. I mean, it's, uh, an hour it's, after, it's, yeah. it's got to be a, a mile or so away from um, mm. where we started. And we went into the cafe there to try and get some respite from them, their attentions. Uh, and they, they, they walked in, into the cafe behind us and stood at our table. Arms folded, just stood there like guards, I suppose. People in the cafe trying to have a meal. Everybody was looking. It was very uncomfortable for everybody. Um, we had to leave there because it, it because it, it was an uncomfortable situation. Judy wanted to go to the to the toilet before leaving, so she got the code number for the toilet lock from the cafe owner and went to the toilet. One of them positioned himself right outside the door, went out, followed her to the toilet and positioned himself outside the door while she was inside. It's very sinister. I, I, it was getting more sinister as we went on. At some stage, Judy, you took a picture of these uh, two men in the cafe. So on screen, yeah. we can see two powerfully built men in their hoodies, as you say, and one's got his baseball cap on back to front. These don't look professional individuals. Uh, they've, got really their, they've got yeah. their phones out, but this is in a local cafe. They followed you in and they are deliberately being intimidating by standing by your table.
but they take it even mm -hmm. further and follow you, Judy, to the to the toilet. So what what did With their coffee? Yes, yes, just standing there, not uh, you know, they were enjoying themselves. They bought themselves a coffee each whilst we had a coffee, and uh, yeah, it was a good morning for them. Was it both stood outside the ladies or one of them? Yes, eventually, yes, because I went first, obviously, and then Paul followed holding my dog. And when I came out of the ladies, I took a snap of the two of them and they were there just uh, adjacent to the, to the toilet building. How did that make you feel? Well, it, it was just... It, it was just so much of an overreaction. What our felony had been was to unclip our dogs on an empty field on a beautiful morning. And for that, you know, we were an hour into being threatened with the police repeatedly, harassed, taunted, insolent mm. remarks. And then this was halfway through. Um, you know, I felt that there was no escape. We didn't know what to do. Judy, give us a bit more detail because you've used some you've used some pretty hard descriptions there. You're being taunted, being harassed. Well, totally. what, were, what were they what were they doing that you found? Well, when when we left the cafe, we got back up onto the main road and opposite the Morrison supermarket, and there was a small wall, a low wall there. And I sat down. I said to Judy, "I'm I'm struggling a bit with this uh, because I have a pacemaker fitted." Uh, so my heart is uh, not the most reliable, uh, and um, diabetic, and that doesn't help either. And I was starting to feel strange, so I sat down, and they were and they were pestering us for our details. They said we're going to call the police, and they'll you know they'll come and, and make you give you information. It it all sounded like it, it honestly was just like schoolboy bullying. You know, it was just very intimidating. And I, and I turned around to them and I said, look, for your own benefit, I'll tell you the situation. I've got, I'm fitted with a pacemaker for a good reason. And I'm a diabetic. And I'm not coping with it very well at the moment. I said, so I'm telling you that to let you know for your own information. And they just started mocking me. They go, all oh, right, do you want us to call an ambulance then? And I couldn't believe what I, I disliked dealing with ten-year-olds in the school playground. And and I said no, 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 no. I opened my shirt to show him that you know where the, you can see where the pacemaker is. It's obvious. I showed him. I said, look, I'm not kidding. I, I, I'm serious about this. And he, he said, I've got a camera. And I thought, yeah, but he did it. Da, da, yeah, da, he did. Da, da. He did. Yeah, yeah. He did. <laughs> it was. It was. It was surreal. Is is the best word for it, Barney? Yeah. Intimidating, but surreal. And right. uh, I, I, I was seriously concerned. I was concerned. I did not want to get in, into a confrontation with these two guys because I am a redhead. I'm not now, but I'm a redhead spirit inside. Uh, and I, I always stood up for them. I don't want to be involved in this at all. I've got to get away. So we got up and we started walking again up the road. It used to be the old railway line, converted to a pathway into the back of a rest and school uh, and goes into Radford Park. And all the way there, that's when they really started chatting and talking to us and, and aggravating us. Uh, at one point, I turned around because my dog was lagging behind a bit to call him. And the guy was just making a grab for my dog. 
and he stopped the minute I, I warned him not to. Um, and he stopped and he was he obviously didn't like that very much. And I called my dog up and he said, oh, your dog's under not under control. And I said, he certainly is. He's, he's fine. And he should be on a lead. And that's a lie because there's no dog lead signs anywhere on that bit of road. Then they were, they, they were continually trying to call the police. Now, I, I heard at one point they left it on speaker and they had the phone pointed towards us. And I distinctly heard the girl police operator saying, look, I've told you, if there's no ambulance involved, uh, we won't be attending. It's not our business. And I, and I thought, who are they talking to? And I realised it was the police. I, I, I'd already... By that time, I'd also realised that the threat of calling the police was just, just that. It was a threat. It meant nothing. Bogus, was it? But it, yeah. Uh, and, and then they started on like, the, the, the fines that we were totting up. They were adding up the fines. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. £100 for walking your dog off the, off the, uh, off, you know, off the lead. And another, but it was all sing-song. This was before, yes, yeah, so as we left the... Uh... The, the incident where Paul had shown his pacemaker and we had this uh, um, thing with the, and I've got a camera, then they started whooping their arms up and saying, well, it's 50 pounds because you took your dog off the lead. It's 50 pounds because you didn't want to give us your details. And there's two of you, you know, so they were going on, you know, that's 200 pounds, didn't they? <laughs> and, then they and then they started telling us how much they were enjoying it. That's right, yeah, that's just incredible. Two grown men who were clearly yeah. intimidating oh, no. by their oh. size and their demeanour, but they're also behaving like children. This, is, this, to me, sounds a very dangerous combination. You're faced with two adults who are being hostile to you, but they're also behaving like children. This, I could imagine, would be very frightening. It was pathetic, but it was disturbing very disturbing because it was you didn't know what what they were going to do next i mean it could have become very unpleasant uh and that was at the back of my mind the whole time obviously we, we were threatened we were under duress the whole time um and they wouldn't let us off it they just kept coming up behind and at one point they were talking all the time to somebody who was controlling them um, and I didn't know who they worked for or who was behind it. Uh, as it later turned out, it was obviously they were talking to somebody on the council and being directed to do this by the council. And, uh, and uh, this guy walked up behind Judy after these little outbursts and started in a little, another sing-song voice, repeated her address. And, and said, does that ring any bells, Judy? Yeah. And, and we hadn't given them any details at all. So they got that to whoever was controlling them. So if they really just wanted our details, well, why at that point did they not say to Judy, you can go home, we've got your, we've got your details. Mm. They knew her name, they knew her address. Do you know why they would have access to your, your address? Yes, because... Well, prior to this incident in, in February, I had tried to contact my local councillor, Rebecca Smith. I'd written to her three times and got no answer. 
Um, and so I set up a petition to try and see what was going on and trying to uh, stop the council from continuing with this policy, you know, and the petition basically states you should be finding people who don't pick up dog dirt, but you shouldn't be finding people whose dogs cross the white line. And this uh, was starting to take off. And this morning when uh, we were uh, met by the dog wardens, I was just giving a petition to one of the, the ladies we mentioned previously. And the dog warden came up and he said, can I have that? And he just took it. Just took it from my ear. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he was able, you know, he was on his phone all the time and he had the backup in the office. So uh, it's got the petition site and the petition site has my name on it. I was local, so you know, it's easy for them to see who I was. So let, let's just follow it through to the sort of conclusion of your interaction with these two guys. Um, you you are trying to move on all the time and get away from them. Um, yes. You, you, so you've been in the cafe, you've come out of the cafe, you've gone through Radford Park, I think it was. And where where do you where do you go next in order to try and get away from these two individuals? Well, while we're in Radford Park, there are a number of benches, and I sat in probably every one of them. I was definitely feeling it by this time. The, yeah, he the, he was great. There you go. I didn't, I didn't realise I was yeah. I turned colour, but but I was feeling very off. Um, and there's a there's a cafe up by the Prater shops that we know to be dog friendly. So we thought we'd head up there and go in there and have a, another coffee and uh, just for the respite, just to get away from them. And Judy knows the owner, she's met him, and, and he's very dog conscious, and he wouldn't stand for any nonsense in his cafe, so we thought this sounds like a safe place to be. You know, but by this time, I, I wasn't feeling too bright, in all honesty. Um, but as before we got there, we then passed, or we came up to the Dean Cross Surgery, which was open. And it was very busy, absolutely shock a block, wasn't it? People, mm -hmm. people going in and out. It was obviously very busy. And Judy said, "Look, you're looking very great. I don't like the look of you. I think it, I think you need to be in there uh, having a checkup." And I wasn't going to argue. I, I agreed totally. So we went in there, and nurse said. We're full. We're absolutely full. I'm sorry. The doctor said we can't take anybody else today. And I thought, oh, God, we're going to have to go back out and face these three chaps again. And the receptionist, for some reason, she was leaning back in her chair and looking very quizzical. And she's looking over my shoulder. And then she looked at me. She said, well, what is your problem? And I, I said, well, I've got a pacemaker and I'm diabetic and I need it somebody to just check me over to make sure because I'm not feeling well and then I realized she was looking over my shoulder and I turned and this guy was stood behind me waiting, you know? and I said well that's my problem <laughs> and, and the whole thing changed uh, the surgery was superb yeah because you said uh, they've been following us yeah. for two hours yeah, yeah I explained the situation yeah. and, and the surgery was just superb they wished me 
behind the counter into a small room out the back to get me out of the way of this guy. He couldn't come through. And they started checking me over. The nurse sat me down and she said, was your heartbeat going exceptionally fast? I said, well, I, I, I presume so, but I don't really remember anything in particular. I just remember feeling very out of sorts. And she said, well, I can feel it coming down now. She had a hand on my chest. Uh, and I went through a series of tests. The doctor, I went into the doctor's surgery and she put the blood pressure on me and everything. Took a, took a blood sugar reading, which was normally high, very high, which was probably at the root of the problem. Uh, and then I had to go in another room and, and have a cardiac bath. While I was having that, uh, a came in. And he'd been, the, the surgery had called an ambulance. And, and it's, as, a, as a consequence, the police were informed and they came as a consequence of the, the, the ambulance being phoned. Um, and I spoke to the, to the, I gave him my details and I talked to the policeman. Um, the, the ambulance people were very, very good about the whole thing. Um, the, the, the option, the preferred option was for them to take me to Derrickford and have proper tests. Um, but the ambulance man said, we're happy to do that, but we have to tell you, you'll be stuck in the ambulance for five hours at Derrickford before you could even go in. And I thought, well, look, if, if you think I'm okay to get up and walk home, uh, I'd rather do that rather than deny an ambulance to somebody who would be, who would be better off in, in an ambulance with two paramedics having a heart attack. Maybe somebody would be better off in that situation. And, and I, I didn't want to be the guy, you know, taking the, that provision away from somebody. So I said I'd rather go home. And they, they were all in agreement. They said, no, that's sensible enough. Uh, so we went outside. And, and I was looking around, and the policeman said, don't worry, sir, they've gone. Uh, and Judy heard them tell these two guys to just go away and leave us alone. So the presence of the police, far from being a threat, was I wish I'd just said, yeah, call them, please. Because... Just whilst, whilst Paul was receiving medical attention, or he'd been taken out of the reception area, the reception area is very tiny. And I was feeling pretty jaded. I was sitting in the, on the floor with my head in my hands, just thinking, oh, my goodness, you know. And I looked up and I saw this young policeman. And I said, oh, thank goodness for that, because I could see that, you know, he was a breath of fresh air. And he said, I'm not here about your dispute with the council. We don't get involved in these uh, matters, he said. I'm here because we understand a gentleman is unwell. And I thought, well, thank goodness for that. And from that moment, the two young uh, police officers, a young man and a woman, were extremely helpful and very sympathetic. And um, I sat chatting with them in the back office and all the reception people at um, Dean Cross Surgery. Was it Dean Cross? What was it yeah, called? Yeah, 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 it was, yeah. Uh, superb. At the surgery. They were, they were so friendly. Yeah, you superb. Know? Yeah. So right. We, we, yeah, we, we left and I said, um, I said to Paul, you know what? We need evidence and we need, we walked back to Dean Cross because we were just two or three minutes from there 
and I took out my phone and I took a video which took about 12 minutes. It took over 10 minutes and we walked all around the perimeter and there wasn't one single sign telling you that this dog enforcement law um, was applicable. So, I mean, I knew that, uh, that it was in theory, but imagine if you'd have come from Nottingham or London and you're walking your dog, you, that would be entrapment. Yes. Because there wasn't a single sign. I have the video. It shows every bit of fencing all around. We, we walked all around, didn't we, in a loop, mm. and there wasn't anything, and there isn't today. Judy, th thank you very much for that. So this whole saga, and I, I'm sure there are people who will be watching and listening to this interview who will be utterly stunned at what you're, what you're describing. So the pressure from these two men altogether lasted over two hours. What, how long was it until you were finally free of them? It was two. It was two hours, pretty much, and then we were both physically, psychologically, we we were very stressed. And I have been surprised. Paul has been surprised at how mm. much of a, a toll this has taken on the pair of us. You know, we're both in our seventies, and we're not <laughs> really uh, Rambo. <laughs> um, so you know, we we walked around the perimeter no, of the really field. Not really Rambo anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we came back to my house and we were jiggered basically and the actual psychological and emotional toll mm. took weeks and weeks and weeks i phoned yeah. my i phoned my doctor yeah. twice yeah. to get it's... some kind of relief from this um, and paul equally has been in yeah. touch with his yeah. gp yeah. apparently um i'm new to this diabetes and, and Diabetes, it affects your, your, your whole nervous system. Uh, and the nervous system was very active this day. It had, it had really been jogged out of its sleep. Mm. Uh, and that's, I think, what's causing the problem. But I was, I was, I was amazed. I've always been fairly robust. I played a lot of rugby. I was a merchant seaman. And I, you know, I'm, I learned at an early age not to stand up, not to stand for bullies pushing me around. I've always been fairly robust. I was amazed. There was one morning, the morning after this incident, I went down, downstairs, made myself a cup of coffee, took it back to bed. Um, and I usually read my newspaper on a download on my tablet. And I sat in bed trying to read that. And... And there were tears streaming down my, my, my cheeks. I wasn't crying, but I couldn't stop these tears. And I thought, oh, what's happening? And my, my system was severely shaken. Um, I've spoken to the doctor since. Uh, I'm waiting on, I should get the result this week of my, they, when, when they do a blood test for diabetes, they do a different test to the one where you just put your finger. And, and that's, that's much more comprehensive. And I've asked them to get one of those for me uh, to see just how it, how much if it has affected my diabetes i've had an adverse diabetic eye e examination i've only had two of them before uh and they were both fine they said no you, your eyes are okay it's the, the diabetes hasn't affected it but the one i had immediately after th this incident 
showed this eye in particular has started to deteriorate quite badly. Uh, and this is all interconnected. So I don't know how. I'm still in the process of trying to put it all together. But I, I was definitely in a situation or in a, a state that I've never been in before. Right. Emotion, you know, it was definitely the nervous system that was that had been affected. I am not surprised with what you describe. It would be intimidating for anybody. I mean, you could have been a fit young guy, but you would have still had two big blokes yeah. in hoodies following you around. So let, let's just bring up on screen some comments that were made by Plymouth City Council. Now, these were printed in the Plymouth Live article talking about it. So this is the first part. Following a number of complaints from residents about dog fouling, in Dean Cross Park, two plainclothes enforcement officers visited the park on Tuesday. While on patrol, the officers spotted two people breaching the dog control public spaces protection order by allowing their dogs to exercise off the lead on a marked sports pitch. When the couple were approached, they were uncooperative and refused to give their details to the officers. Dog fouling is unwanted on all streets and open spaces in Plymouth, but particularly on sports pitches because of the health risks to children and adults who play sports. Keeping dogs on a lead on the pitches ensures the owners notice when their dog has fouled and can pick up straight away. So we've, we've put the comment from Plymouth City Council. Now the more astute viewers will notice that that is an anonymous uh, response from Plymouth City Council so no individual from the council was prepared to put their name to the response but of course the the whole point of the response they've made is to direct people's attention to dog fouling and uh, and the the need to keep pitches clean and and not to deal with the issue at hand which is actually the fact that your dog simply crossed a line, uh, but you were then followed, harassed, intimidated by two of the Plymouth City Council workers. So where I'm leading to with this is that, Judy, I think it, it was you in particular, you've made some inquiries of Plymouth City Council to find, find out more about the laws that they're using and to find mm -hmm. out more about their approach. So I'll, I'll get you to comment, but I'll just bring this one up on screen. You, you had an email exchange with Nicola Horn, who's the Environmental Health, Environmental Protection Manager, Public Protection Service at the City Council. Um, and in her reply to, I'll just give the second paragraph. It says, dog-related antisocial behavior such as fouling is a commonly reported issue and the health and safety risks to users of parks, spaces, sports pitches or staff who maintain our parks and open spaces is a responsibility of the council. Many of the dog on lead controls are to ensure those in control of dogs can easily identify dog feces and pick it up. However, there are other reasons for implement implementing such as general safety. It's important for a council to consider the requirements and views of both the dog owning and non-dog owning community and ensure that our parks and open spaces are free to enjoy 
for all residents, businesses and visitors to our city. So what was your reaction to um, Nicola Horn's response to you? I didn't see that you actually got an apology for what happened. What I'm picking up is more that they just like restating what the policy is. Correct. It, it was, I had written three times to my local councillor and because um, after the, the, the first letter, she said, I'll get back to you. And she didn't. I then um, also sent my letters to the other five local councillors in Plimstock. There are six wards in Plimstock. And they're all conservative wards. Um, and in, um, in following letters two and three, there was no response from anybody, uh, certainly not my own councillor, but uh, a gentleman called Councillor Wakeham sent my letter to the appropriate authority, the appropriate department, which was this department that Nicola Horn um, leads, the environmental quality. So it was a technical department, not a political department, and a councillor I had written to um, because she was... Uh, a politician, but she didn't reply. So I think that it, it was simply a deflection for somebody to uh, write to me and tell me what the law stated. The law states that we have the right to do this, and um, it, you know, it was just a a way of shutting me up. Essentially, I find it quite sinister. The the uh the title there of this individual, Environmental Health, Environmental Protection Manager, Public Protection Service. It's, mm. it, it smacks of 1984. And the last thing it makes me feel is that anybody is being protected. But, uh, you know, that's, that's just my opinion. Now, Paul, you tried writing to your local MP, who is Gary Streeter. Um, he gave you a reply, which I'd like to bring up on screen here. Um, yeah. Let me just read through. Dear Mr. Southcombe, thank you for your email about the issue of dog walking and dog wardens in Plimstock. I'm sorry to hear of the distress you recently experienced at Dean Cross playing fields. Having made inquiries, it's been confirmed. It has been confirmed the men you have described were Plymouth City Council employees and the incident in question is being investigated. No further information has been provided. However, local ward councillors have informed me that they have already raised the issue, this issue with the council and asked for clarity by way of better signage and that dog wardens be in uniform rather than following people in plain clothes as you experience. That said, I am aware that dog wardens have been used across the city for some time to manage in particular dogs being exercised off leads on designated sports pitches or areas with children playing. It's my understanding that Dean Cross playing fields are included in this grouping as the, as the playing pitches are council owned. Clearly, whilst dog owners wish to exercise their pets in their local area, they're at times using the same land as local sports clubs who do not want to deal with the mess left behind by less responsible owners. I appreciate that this impacts on all dog owners, the responsible and less responsible, but having heard from local sports clubs, I am aware of the inconvenience they face 
dealing with insanitary detritus left behind by some. So to me, this is, well, I would say a very classic politician's letter because um, there's certainly no compassion for, for, for you in any way in this, let, in this uh, letter, even though what you've described to our audience today is pretty incredible. Um, he does admit that they were Plymouth City Council employees. He also says the matter in question is being investigated. Has there been any further report to you about what, what that investigation has achieved? Has Gary Streeter followed up on the investigation? None whatsoever. Absolutely none whatsoever. Um, and I don't, I'm not looking for an apology. It would be too late now. It would mean nothing. But what, I, what, what I'd like somebody to do is admit that this is just a money-making exercise. Stopping dogs from being there, or crossing this, what, this white line off a leap is not going to do anything for the people uh, uh, to solve the problem of those who allow their dogs to foul the pitch and don't pick up after them. It's nothing to do with the people who, who, who do that religiously, as organised dog walkers do. Uh, I just want them to take this silly aberration out of the of of the system because it, it it's 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 a flimsy excuse to to extract yet more money more money from the the council taxpayers uh, and I think they could do without that. Let's reinforce a little bit of what you suspect is going on because of course Judy you took some further action and you made some freedom of information. Uh, requests and I've, I've got here just a little snapshot of some of the data that you got back. So this first yeah. one is about you were asking where fines were issued and mm. in the response and note it's official sensitive. This, this fascinated me. Why, why should it be sensitive where people are being fined by Plymouth City Council? But there we are. Mm -hmm. So we've got a number of um, park and recreation ground locations. And against each one are numbers, which I take are the numbers of people who are ultimately fined for allowing their dogs to walk off lead in these particular areas. Is, is that your understanding of this particular document? Yes, this relates to the last six months of 2022. Um, and I notice that uh, Central Park is um, an absolute maelstrom. You can walk your dog here and you can't there. So a lot of people have find because they stray innocently from one area to another without realising they're in the danger zone. And um, so they get fined. And King George V's playing fields has historically uh, been the second most fined area. And interestingly, I set, well, somebody else set up um, a Facebook page called White Lines Fines to relate to um, the, uh, the harassment that we are suffering. And the um, councillor who is responsible for King George V's is Miss um, Pengeli, is it Vivian? Vivian, yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, 
she said, oh, well, I, I regularly walk my dogs here and I've been down to the rugby club and they're very friendly. They want to invite people in and they're not at all antagonistic to dogs. So I put on, well, that may well be. They may be benign people, but it's not them. It's the council representatives who are um, antagonistic towards us and who are fining us. And there was no follow-up. Just to give the numbers again there, for, so Central Park, the main one, there were 59 people had been, or thank you, Stephanie, there were 59 people who'd been fined and then King George V playing fields, which you mentioned is 21. So those are the top ones, West Ho Park, 10, St Mary's, 9, and then it drops down to relatively minor numbers but this is the next document which you kindly sent through to me and I found this fascinating because you'd asked about fines contested and not paid and in the little table that came back we see some very interesting things so the crime the crimes listed dog fouling dog off lead dog exclusion dog on lead by direction means to pick up I think that's probably a an excuse somebody would have said I meant to pick it up I don't know whether I got that correct but what you can see immediately is that 111 fines were simply because a dog was off the lead whereas the number of dogs that had fouled was only six and I, I found this a, a fascinating statistic. I started uh, looking into this and going back to 2019 which is the year prior to the council uh, starting off this public spaces protection order. And uh, there wasn't an offence of having your dog off lead on a, on a sports pitch. And the income generated was minimal because I think in several months during the year of 2019, zero fines were issued under dog control, zero. So if you, if you tot up the, the 12 months of 2019, there's very little income. But after they introduced the PSPO, it was voted in um, in 2020. The dog control offences were added to so that an offence was now having your dog off lead on a sports pitch, which previously had not been an offence. It only became an offence with this PSPO. And to be honest, nobody knew about it. And to this day, almost nobody knows about it. Certainly nobody who doesn't have a dog. And most people who do have a dog have no idea what a PSPO is. And um, they are completely clueless. There right. is inadequate signage in the places there has been inadequate signage there is zero signage in some places um and so it is so easy to pick up money because your dog has crossed the line people here in our local fields have been walking their dogs in these same fields for generations literally generations i and, have since i was five working and out. and these, these um old ladies coming on um, onto the field there and they just let the dog off. They're responsible people who pick up but they're approached by these guys who say um, just come over here we've got a photograph of your dog crossing that white line. And these poor old ladies 
by themselves, walking by themselves, they are in tears. They don't know what's hit them. They've got no idea about law. There's no signage. And it's absolutely preposterous. Right. And you, the basic fine for a dog crossing the line is £100. Is that correct? Yeah. And yeah. A hundred pounds to many pensioners can can be the difference between eating a week and not. One of the people that we know uh, had the same same experience as we had, and uh, this lady is is a nurse. She just lives adjacent to the fields. She popped out to walk her dog. Very responsible dog owner, approached by the wardens. And she knew she had to be on shift soon. She only had five minutes. But she saw these two guys approaching and she saw that her dog was off the lead. So she left. She left, as we had done, by an exit. And they started harassing her and calling the police and et cetera, et cetera. And she was extremely stressed. In fact, she still is. And she refuses to go on these fields now. Uh, but the thing is that she had to go back to towards her house because she was going to work. So she came back and she had a conversation. She said, look, she said, I've picked up after my dog. There is no signage here. There are no white lines. And the guy said to her, oh, well, there's a guy over there. He's painting the white lines. They'll be up soon. And she said, well, what, you know, that that's no way to run a situation like this. And they said to her, well, the best thing you can do is to give us your details and then you can test it. And so she was so frazzled that she gave her details. And a, a few days later, her husband contested and they say there's no way you can contest it. We're jumping back a little bit, but I think this is important to stress to the audience. You've, you've got men appearing out of nowhere demanding information from you as if it's their right to know who you are um, and you found that intimidating and I can imagine that a, a lady on her own would find it particularly well, intimidating. Yes, surely, yeah. yeah. So we've got the council using what I would say totally inappropriate people to do this job but what you, you're picking up on is the fact that Plymouth City Council is making money out of the activities of these men i don't know whether there's women doing the jobs as well we'll say these men yes, so yeah. they're picking up money from the fines not for dog fouling but for a dog crossing a white line but your investigation took you a little bit deeper because you got interested in in who actually owned the public spaces and how much money the city council was actually taking for leases so i'll just bring this up on screen um, so this is part of your freedom of information response. And you've asked how much income is generated for Plymouth City Council by its leasing fields to sports clubs within the town. And the, the reply is essentially 43,000. And it says it includes commercial rent income, income from pitches, bowling greens, pavilions, and tennis courts, uh, as the request is targeted at sports clubs I've included this data and I'll just pop the next one up on screen because you also got some particular information about the um, the area in question and so they sent you 
a map of land that was leased by Plymouth City Council to Sports Club in the Plimstock Dean Cross area of Plymouth. Um, right. and, and I find it interesting that's labelled Corporate and Business Property Department of Development. But what, what's interested you, and correct me if I've got this wrong, Judy, is that it would appear that originally the green spaces were actually donated by people uh, for the, uh, the use, the recreational use of people in Plymouth. And mm. now it appears that they, that donated land has been hoovered up by Plymouth into what you've described as a money-making scheme. It's been, I have asked uh, under the Freedom of Information for the Covenant, uh, because old-timers, I've, I've only been in Plymouth since 2016, but I've, I, I've noticed that a lot of the people I meet um, have been here for generations, you know, their families have been here, and a lot of old-timers have said, oh yes, these fields were given uh, to Plymouth in a Covenant, you know, the people of Plymouth and the people of Elberton, and somebody put on a Facebook page, a, a guy in his 80s had said also the land where the car parking is in Plimstock by the Broadway. But I haven't been able to see this covenant. The only one that we saw um, dated back to 47, was it? 46. The 46. 46. We can, uh, Judy, we can bring that. I think this is the one. Um, this is uh, talking about a conveyance of land in this title and other land dated the 20, 25th of March 1946 made between Priscilla Littleton Mitchell and also Wallace Littleton Ridge and the Rural District Council of Plimpton St Mary contains covenants. And the Plymouth City Council also said to you we will have to request the deed packet to see if we have a copy of the 1946 conveyance and this will take several weeks to arrive so was that the one that you were referring to or trying to recall yes well to be honest i don't know what the last legal document is relating to these fields but the one that um we have i think it's uh, the expanded version of what you've put on screen here shows that for example there's a prohibition on serving alcohol in this in this area, isn't there? That's the one, it's the same one, yes. Uh, whereas now alcohol is served um, in the clubhouse. So that, that suggests either that they are, um, you know, that there must be some other legislation that has changed um, the terms of the lease. The key reason that you've been, you've been asking these questions is, um, because if you were saying, well, are these, is the land free for the recreational use of people in Plymouth? Uh, mm -hmm. We now see that it's not free because Plymouth is claiming that it can uh, enact some pretty onerous um, controls yeah. over what you do on that land. And at the same time, land that was given to the city, Plymouth City Council can now make money out of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. You know, the. I don't have further information on, on the actual covenant, and I would like to know that. Uh, but as I say, a number of old timers here, people in their eighties, have said yes. There's definitely a covenant. I haven't uncovered it so far. Right. Um, but 
certainly we are being fined just for using the fields. I mean, the fields, if you go out, the fields here locally are much, much emptier. People are frightened. Those people who live in the adjacent streets are those people who use the fields, used to use the fields. And morning and night, uh, you see lots of people and people would stop and chat and now people are frightened and you can't reach out to them they're not people who are following the situation they they've just been frightened once and that's it they've gone right. and that's the that's the result uh of this pspo right isn't it yeah i think it's worth pointing out that under the welfare dogs act 2006, section nine or something yeah, like yeah. something. As a dog owner, we are under an obligation to adequately exercise our dogs. And it specifically uses the word exercise. And there is a difference. A walking your dog is one thing. Allowing it to exercise is an entirely different thing. And it's something that all dogs need. And we are, as dog owners, obliged to provide that exercise. Now this PSPO uh, that they've introduced about the white lines removes our, 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 our opportunity to do that in this field just so they can make money because it certainly doesn't make any difference to dog, dog droppings on the, on the field or, or on the ground in general. It's, it's, they're basically withdrawing our our opportunity to to comply with the law by producing another law, which is a, which is a nonsense. It's it's just a flimsy excuse to take money from people. And then they're policing it to use that term with with yeah. men that most yeah. people would describe as thugs. Totally, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. The, the the interesting thing is, though, Brian, that. As I say, I came in 2016 and I had two uh, golden retrievers and there was no issue. But then the, 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 the naming, is this a park or is it a sports, uh, sports pitch or is it a recreational field? It, it has come to my attention through um, asking the, the council that the council now have 16 recreational fields where they uh, use these tactics and those are the fields across Plymouth where there, there's been a sports pitch where there is a sports pitch now if you look at the, the map of Plymouth and you take 16 fields there's not much else left where are you supposed to take your dog off the lead yeah. I mean, I know that I have the document from central government, which is guidance for councils, and they say, be very careful, make sure that there's, uh, you don't just displace the activity that you're trying to eradicate, or make sure you give proportionate space, but there's none of that. It's just, no, you can't exercise your dog in any of these 16 places, or we will bu bully you. Yes. And that is a major major i don't know what percentage but it is a huge percentage of the red green space across plymouth it's a right. massive right. massive disturbance of the status quo
and nobody said we're going to do this and it's here it's just done by stealth the other thing that comes in my mind with this and i i'll be careful because I'd need to go and sort of check exactly what's happening. But I remember that some time ago in Plymouth, and it was happening in other cities, uh, we had we had city management companies being installed and they were using individuals yeah. in uniform, often yeah. looking incredibly similar to police uniforms who were policing cities, city centre areas and fining people if they dropped a cigarette but also many people found them to be quite intimidating in, in oh. the way they conducted themselves, very officious, very overbearing. And of course, they always tried to lead you to believe the police were on their side. So that's yeah. one comment I would make that as you tell the story about these wardens made officers, as Plymouth City Council likes to call them, but made worse by the fact that they're in pretty thuggish plain clothes uh, and they're big guys and they're behaving in very strange ways. But in my yeah. head came, yes, we've seen this before with the creation of, of so-called uh, patrolling officers in city, city centre areas. And then I'm just going to add a little anecdotal story and I, I can look at the camera and say I know this is correct because it was told to me directly after the incident. But many years ago, um, Tony Blair came to visit Plymouth and he, he was in some talks and discussions with the city council about the city and how the city would develop in the future. And after the meeting, uh, one of the gentlemen who was in attendance came to see me and said, Brian, I've just listened to something which I just found incredible. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, there was discussion about how the city would develop. And to my amazement, they were talking about almost what class of people could live in what part of the city. And mm. as my head was sort of reeling with what this was really meaning or seemed to mean, um, a senior member of the uh, Plymouth City Council said, but we're having some trouble in some areas. We're having a bit of pushback from the inhabitants of Plymouth. And Tony Blair's response, and this is what this gentleman wanted to tell me, Tony Blair's response was, well, you have been given special powers and you should use them. And of course, what Tony Blair was re referring to were changes in into in the powers being given to city councils and local authorities to enable them to bring in these laws uh, which were going to control the way people could live in the city. Now, obviously, that mm. was Tony Blair and that was many years ago, but that comes straight back into my head. And here we have these individuals uh, as enforcers of policy which has been made largely out out of sight of the general public. This is it, you know, because if you introduce a PSPO according to government nas national government guidelines, you have to uh, you have to go through a consultation process, and the consultation process for the 2020 PSPO is online, and it's a Mickey Mouse document with two pages with questions like, "Do you think people should pick up after their dog?" 
and um, do you think uh, dogs should be on leave in or not allowed to go into children's playgrounds or be on leave in cemeteries? Yeah. Kind of um, the, the the kind of uh, statement where pretty much everybody would be in agreement. But at that time, um, this um, situation that we have now with 16 fields being impacted was uh, not current. Those questions were asked before we had the PSPO, um, which absolutely changed the, the nature of dog walking across Plymouth. You know, so yes. those people, I think there were about a thousand people and they were touch and go on this and that, but they didn't know what the situation that we now find ourselves in was going to be like. I mean, they had no idea that this was going to come out of the PSPO. Right. Nobody could and, have envisaged it. Judy, just, just to highlight it again for people who might not have picked it up, because I know you did mention it earlier, the PSPO is a public spaces protection order. Is that correct? Right, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We've got a number of things happening here, but of course the key bit is how you were treated by these individuals. And you've said that to date you've had you've had no apology from the city council. You haven't had any response saying what the result of their investigation has been, if such an investigation took place. Gary Streeter MP seems to think one was happening, but you haven't received any any apology or any further information from the council. No, but I have made a second Freedom of Information request and the results of that are due to be in my inbox on or before April 13th. Okay. And I asked um, what the result of the uh, investigation was and if the um, uh, two people who harassed us are still in employment and have they been redeployed and what's happened. I also asked... Um, what is the age of the people who have been um, fined? Because my first freedom of information request included a question, what is the gender? Because it's uh, anecdotally, speaking with the people locally, um, it was elderly women. Right. And although the remit uh, uh, of the dog wardens is to ask your name, uh, age, date of birth, and email address, they say they don't uh, record um, gender. And I'm anticipating they will now tell me they don't record age as well, because right. that was my second question. I'm going to add in here, and I think I'm correct in saying this, and the, the only person who can actually ask you who you are for your name is a police officer who's got reason to ask you that question. So these officials are claiming a power, it seems to me, that they don't actually have. And clearly, from your experience, they're prepared to use intimidating techniques if they don't get an answer. We're just over the, we're just over the hour, so I, I think that we should probably close here. But just at that point, you've had this horrible experience. You're now delving into how Plymouth City Council is policing this issue and what it's doing behind the scenes to raise money. You've got the UK column audience, which will be in UK, but it will also be overseas. What would your message be to, to our audience? Why should people pay attention 
to what's happened to both of you? Because this is a huge, absolutely huge authoritarian um, gesture by our local council. Uh, I, I mean, to, to, to change the use of vast amounts of public land and say, uh, as of today, we're going to we're going to fine you, we're going to bully you, we're going to send people out to, to harass you. Um, the only way to police this this uh, PSPO is by harassment because they're open fields. What are you going to do? There is no way to to for them to continue this policy other than by frightening us. And this is an absolutely well, I, I would call it fascist. It's an authoritarian regime. I've had no answers from my councillor, from any of the councillors I've contacted. Nobody has contacted me other than through my request for freedom of information. Nothing. And nobody in the community knows anything about what's going on. So from start to finish, it is authoritarian. And I think we should all be very very careful because we're, where we're is it going top, to end we're at yeah, the top so. of a slippery slope yes yeah yeah, yeah. they don't tell you anything right. about it yeah okay well i i'm going to say thank you both very much for for having the courage to come and join uk column you weren't that ferocious it's <laughs> not you we're frightened of uh, at all <laughs> well well thank you thank for you that very but, much. but but I know to get in front of a camera and start to talk about what's happened to you, this can be challenging for people. So that's the, that's the reason I say it. But I'm, I'm going to thank you again for, for uh, agreeing to do this and to talk out to the audience. And I'm going to say to our audience, I completely agree with your summing up that this is the start of a, a slippery slope. And if people don't realise what's being done here, how it's being done, and where it leads, we are going to be in serious, serious trouble. So Judy and uh, Paul, thank you very much for joining me today.